1: Well, it may have started in a manger, but as we'll see today, it culminates on a cross. The life of Christ, next on today's edition of Abounding Grace. As we hustle about this holiday season, mindful of Christmas and its significance, we're reminded today of the fact that it culminates on a cross. The crucifixion of Jesus is the title of our message today. We're in Luke 23, verses 26 through 49. Hi and welcome. This is Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. This week, we're focusing on the crucifixion of Christ through the eyes, of Luke. Please join us with today's edition of Abounding Grace. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner.
2: How do we know from the Bible that this cross was larger than usual? Because when they put the sponge soaked with sour wine up to Jesus' lips, they couldn't just reach up and give it to him. They had to put it on the end of a long reed to get to him. Because they wanted everyone to see this highly lifted up mockery of a king. So he carries this big crossbeam. His back is torn apart by his horrific beating with cats of nine tails. He's exhausted. So a man by the name of Simon of Cyrene was picked out of the crowd to carry the cross for him the rest of the way, you say. How kind he was. No, Simon of Serene was coerced. He was a pagan. Yeah, he was an innocent bystander. But he was forced to carry this crossbeam by the soldiers who were leading Christ. And what humiliation that was for Jesus. He was so weak. He needed the assistance of a pagan to continue. You say, well, at least the soldiers were kind. No, the soldiers weren't kind at all. They didn't want Jesus to die just yet. They had more cruel fun that they wanted to enjoy on Calvary's cross. There was not one kind thing about the event involving Simon of Cyrene. This was not a pause in Jesus' suffering. Here you see the man, of the Son of God incarnate, being forced to be rescued by a sinner. And all of this humiliation was for our benefit and in our place. So we wouldn't have to go through it ourselves without any hope. Then Luke records something that none of the other Gospels record in verses 27 through 31 it says and following him was a large crowd of people and of women who were mourning and lamenting him but jesus turning to them said daughters of jerusalem stop weeping for me but weep for yourselves and for your children for behold the days are coming when they will say blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never gave, that never nursed Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us, and the hills cover us. For if they do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Now what's happening here? He's going up a hill to the cross. And as he passes this large crowd of women, they begin, as mothers and daughters would do, crying out very loudly because of the way Jesus was being treated because of the way he was being abused and beaten. And I'm sure there was some appreciation in the good and kind heart of Jesus for their sympathy. So why did he respond to these women the way he did? He looked at these women. They seemed to be brokenhearted because of the way Jesus was being treated. And they were mourning and groaning. And Jesus rebukes them. And he says to them, daughters of Jerusalem, stop crying for me, but weep for yourselves. And then that very solemn phrase, and for our children, and for your children, for behold, the days are coming when they will say, blessed are the barren, and wombs that never bore, and breasts that never nursed. There is coming a day when people are going to say, It is blessed to be barren and infertile and not have any children. And on that day, they'll say to the mountains, fall on us and the hills cover us. Now, why did Jesus respond this way? Why did he rebuke them? Why did Luke record this when none of the other Gospel writers did. Well, the first reason is he doesn't want us to forget that tears over what was happening to himself was not a test of discipleship. That is, these women were crying their hearts out over Jesus, but they weren't repentant. And this flood of tears was not evidence of repentance and belief in Him. In fact, Jesus said, cry for yourselves. Judgment is coming upon you. Now, the important thing for us to learn and remember and remind ourselves over and over again, because we are such emotional beings, is that emotions are not proof of salvation. Simply because you feel saved, doesn't mean you are saved. Tears, even floods of tears are no sign that you are really believing or really repenting of your sins. Remember Esau's tears? In the book of Hebrews, it says that when Esau realized what he had given up by selling his birthright to Jacob, it says, for you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, Esau was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it with tears. Esau cried and cried, begging for the inheritance back, but he didn't get it, though he cried his heart out. Because even with the tears, there was no repentance whatsoever. Now that's important for us to bear in mind. Because sometimes we think when we experience things like these sermons that I've given on Gethsemane and, and now giving on the crucifixion, which have been gut-wrenching and you probably have shed some tears and you may think that's a sure sign of your faith. Not at all. If you grieve or cry over what happened to Jesus in his suffering and death, that is no sign that you are a Christian. Now, I don't see how a real Christian can keep from it, at least in his heart. But bawling your eyes out, as these women were doing, is no sign that you are a real disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. There must Be repentance and a following of Christ. The second thing to remember is Jesus is responding to what the same crowd said just a little earlier when they jeered at him and they cried out for his crucifixion. Jesus is now responding to the women and others for what they said earlier. Do you remember what they said when Pilate asked, Should I crucify your king? In Matthew 27, 25, it says, And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Can you even imagine such a thing? Now, what were they saying? The crowd and these women were saying, We will take full responsibility for the death of the Lord of glory. We and our little children. So now Jesus is saying to these weeping women, Ladies, you've gotten what you wanted. My blood is on you and on your little children. And unless you repent and believe in me, God will hold you and the generations that come from your womb fully responsible for my death. And we have seen 2,000 years of Jewish holocausts somewhere throughout the world. Understand now that God blesses faithful people, down through thousands of generations. That's what the Ten Commandments tells us. But it also tells us that God curses the wicked down through their generations for at least three or four generations. That is, as long as these generations are wicked and their children imitate that wickedness, and it continues, then God will cause his curse and his wrath to go down through countless of generations on those who hate him. Now that leads us to the third reason why Luke included this here, which is to remind us that God deals with people and families down through generations, not simply with isolated individuals, God doesn't just deal with individuals apart from the rest of their family. God deals with people within families down through generations. Proverbs 12, 7 says, The wicked are overthrown and are no more, but the house of the righteous will stand. Now, this is what's called a parallelism. That is, you have two lines referring to the same people, so that when it says the wicked, it doesn't mean wicked individuals. It defines it as a comparison of the house of the righteous and the house of the wicked, the family of the generations of the wicked, as contrasted with the family of the generations of the righteous. And it says that the family and the generations of the wicked are overthrown and are no more. But the family and the generations of the righteous, they will stand. Jesus said, my blood will be on you and your children as long as they live in unbelief. You and your generation will be held accountable for my death. And the great lesson that you and I need to learn as Christians and to remember, particularly as parents and grandparents, is that our children's future is bound up in our faithfulness here and now. How you live for Christ here and now is going to be greatly influential on how your children are going to live 10 years from now, 20 years from now, and your grandchildren 30 years from now, 40 years from now. My dearly beloved brothers and sisters, there is nothing, nothing more important than teaching your children to bow before the King of kings and Lord of lords and to faithfully obey him in the little things every single day. When Jesus passes these women, do you know what he's really saying to them? And notice again what he said. He said in verse 28, Daughters of Jerusalem, stop weeping for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they shall say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and the hills cover us. Now he's talking here about the fall of Jerusalem, the most devastating event in history. Millions of people died and the city was reduced to ashes. And that is what he is talking here about. Cry for yourselves and your children. Why? Listen, beloved. Because there are some people on earth for whom I will not bear the judgment of their sin. They will have to bear their own judgment in hell. Weep for yourselves, ladies. Judgment will fall on you and your children, not on me, for you. You see, that's the heart of the gospel. If they just believed in him, if they just received him as their savior, then they could be sure that all the judgment they deserved would be on him instead of them, and they would be saved. But as it was, they refused to believe. And so Jesus says to them in so many words, cry for yourselves and for your children because judgment will fall on you, not on me, for you. Do you see what he's saying? That the judgment of God has fallen on Christ in the place of God's people who deserve that judgment, those who believe in him as their Lord and Savior. So why does God tell us this? This is pretty strong language. And, and this is Jesus on the way to the cross, He does so, so that we who are saved will rejoice, that we will never get what we deserve, so that throughout all eternity we will stand before God in praise and awe and worship and thank Him that the judgment we deserve fell on Christ, not us. And we will never taste the agony of hell if you're here today and you are without Christ, you may be a church member, but you're not a real believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, then what I said about what Jesus said should scare the daylights out of you, particularly if you are a parent. Because without Christ, neither you nor your children have a future. Like Jerusalem, who rejected her past and God's mighty works on her behalf and who rejected Christ as her Savior, she now has closed her door unless those people repent. And an unbeliever who persists in his unbelief will close the door to the future with God if he dies in that condition. So I trust you're asking the question right now in your heart, how do I know if I'm one of those for whom Jesus Christ died. Did I understand you correctly, Pastor? Are you telling me what Jesus said to the woman is that he did not come to earth to be a substitute for everybody, but only for his own people? Then how can I be sure I'm one of those for whom Christ shed his blood? Because if Christ did not die for you, dear friend, then you have absolutely no hope. You will never be saved there is not the slightest possibility you will not go to hell. You will be condemned throughout all eternity if Jesus Christ did not shed his blood to save you. You say, well, how can I know if I am one of those? Am I going to have to remain in the dark and, you know, just keep my fingers crossed until I die and hope that I'm one of those? No you can right here and now rather know whether you are one of those people for whom christ died in john ten jesus said i am the shepherd you are the sheep and the good shepherd came to give his sheep life and give it to them more abundantly and the good shepherd came to lay down his life for his sheep you notice he didn't come down to lay his life down for goats He didn't lay his life down for the wolves, but he did come to lay down his life for the sheep. And then he said, My sheep, hear my voice and follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and no one shall ever snatch them out of my hand. My sheep, hear my voice and follow me. They've heard my voice in my word. My word has called them, empowered by the Holy Spirit, out of their sin and into new life. And now the one desire of their heart is, in faith, to follow me and to live as faithful sheep, following their shepherd wherever he leads. That is how you can know whether you are one of Christ's sheep. Christ's sheep hear his voice, And they follow Him. My dear friends, now be very honest with yourselves. Is your heart's desire to follow every word that proceeds from our Lord's mouth? Or are you willing, still trying to live with one foot in the world and one foot in the church? Is Christ's voice louder than any other voice in your life? Is his voice truly precious to you? Are you seeking his word in all of your decisions? Or are you simply doing whatever feels right? Are you totally committed to him as your sovereign Lord and believe he is our resurrected, victorious king who is in control of all things? Or do you fear men and big bad conspirators whom he said? He will smash like a potter's clay vessel. Are you striving to be faithful to him in the small things? Are you praying, studying his word, committing yourself to apply it to all areas of your life, training your family in his ways, committed to faithful Sabbath family and personal worship? Or are you too busy? with the busyness of this world? Is he really your all in all? Think seriously about these things. Closely examine yourself. Because if this does not describe you, please consider carefully the somber warning of Jesus to the crowds on his way to the cross on Calvary. Because this was not only for the Jews facing imminent destruction in 70 A.D., but for the churches throughout all the ages. And also keep in mind this is Christ's proclamation as our victorious king, that he will bring to nothing but wrath to all those who only give him lip service and refuse to bow the knee in total submission to his law word, not picking and choosing from his word what you want to follow. He says, We for yourselves. And for your children, for behold, the days are coming in which they will say, Blessed are the barren, and the wombs that never bear, and the breast that never gave suck. Then they shall begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and hills, cover us. Beloved Christ's crucifixion did not make him a martyr. It was His crowning as King of all kings and Lord of all lords. It is not time now for mourning and weeping. It is time for celebration and proclaiming the crown rights of Jesus Christ. Mediocrity is not tolerated in His kingdom. Not having family worship with your family, your children, is not tolerated. Owning a business... Being an employee and not listening to the Word of God and following that Word in all your practices is not being faithful to Christ. We are called to give Him our all in all. So let this be our battle cry. Stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. Lift high his royal banner. It must not suffer loss. From victory unto victory, his army he shall lead. Till every foe is vanquished and Christ is Lord indeed. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. The trumpet call obey. Forth to the mighty conflict in this his glorious day. Ye that are men now serve him against unnumbered foes. Let courage rise with danger and strength the strength oppose. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. Stand in his strength alone. The arm of flesh will fail you. Ye dare not trust your own. Put on the gospel armor. Each piece put on with prayer. Where duty calls or danger be never wanting there. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. The strife will not be long. This day, the noise of battle, the next, the victor's song. To him that overcometh, a crown of life shall be. He, with the King of glory, shall reign eternally.